Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, your host, and this is the home for Product Mastery, where product managers become product masters. And what do I really mean by that? These are the people, the innovators, the product people inside companies that become leaders in organizations. Check out how to become a product master yourself by using my free product mastery roadmap. That's the same place where you'll find the show notes for this episode, which is theeverydayinnovator.com slash 129. And in this episode, we're talking about salespeople and how product managers can better work with salespeople. For some product managers, sales professionals, well, they're a source of tension, maybe because they overpromise and make you know product commitments without first coordinating with product management. For other product managers, the picture is a little bit more rosy. You know, sales professionals provide access to customers and can help arrange for those problem discovery and validation interviews. They're really an ally to product management. Regardless of your working relationship with sales professionals, there is certainly room for improvement. And to explore this topic, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone better than my guest, Keith Hawk. Keith has incredible street cred for this topic, as he's worked in a technology support role early in his career, working with sales professionals and product management. And from there, he served as the Director of Technology Support, Director of Marketing, VP Customer Support, and recently retired from his long-term role as the Senior Vice President of Sales for LexisNexis, a multi-billion dollar organization with over 10,000 employees, a place where I spent some of my time too. And Keith has a very rich background in the information industry, and he's really played a broad role in the development of LexisNexis as a company. He's also the author of a great book, Get Real Selling, Your Personal Coach for Real Sales Excellence. Real, R-E-A-L, it's a framework that you find in the book. And this book greatly influenced my thoughts on the function of selling, and it really helped me have a better relationship with salespeople, uh, giving me some really important insights. So I hope you enjoy this discussion with Keith. I sure did. Keith, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators. Hey, Chad, thank you very much. I am delighted to reunite with you and also to be on the Everyday Innovators. It's my great pleasure, sincerely. I'm anxious to talk about a couple topics with you. Your key background was just sales, but you actually have a lot of street cred moving into that. As <laughs> my experience with you when we worked together at LexisNexis, that you came from the background that I was in at the time, which was more of a technology consultant. And right, right. That had a lot of meaning, so that was great. And then we want to talk about that product management involvement with sales also. Sure. So we're kind of structuring those two topics areas. We'll see where else we go. So <laughs> let's get after it. That's right. So let's uh, first talk about what got you into sales, just kind of get that background and how you became a sales professional. Yeah. And in, in one way, I'd say it's a total accident because uh, I didn't go to college intending to be in sales. I, um, I studied radio and TV at Ohio University. And I wanted to be like a sportscaster or a news newsman or something like that. But uh, when I graduated, uh, I realized that the, there were so many opportunities in the profession of selling. And though I didn't pursue them, um, um, AT&T was breaking up at the time of my graduation from college. And they were recruiting about 5,000 young college grads to join what suddenly had to become a competitive sales force because they were prior a, a monopoly or a virtual monopoly. And I was one of those 5,000 that they hired in sales. And I discovered that um, my experience uh, in communication studies helped me. 
uh, as a salesperson and business to business selling and and it became a career and uh, and my biggest customer turned out to be a corporation that I later went to work for that we now know as LexisNexis and uh, and I I've stayed on that path of virtually my entire career except when I when I joined LexisNexis as a technical support consultant but who went out accompanying salespeople on their on their customer meetings. I had an affinity for your work because of that background that you had in doing that technical sales work. And frankly, so I'll give a little aside here. If you were to ask me who my business mentor was, I would tell you this guy named Brad Tyler. And he was this great guy that, you know, I would stop by his office and ask him a quick question that should have been a minute or two. And he would spend an hour with me just Mm. sharing information, right? And, Mm -hmm. and, And I would always leave his office going... What were all the things he was actually trying to tell me, right? And, and try to keep track of this. <laughs> and he was that way with, with so many people, but he uh, was really good. And uh, unfortunately, he passed away just a, a couple months ago. And doing this podcast, I've had the pleasure of having some virtual mentors, right? People who I've admired and read. But you actually had a big impact on me when I, we were together at LexisNexis in thinking about how sales actually is. Because my background it was engineering, and mm-hmm. <clears throat> was with a system engineering company where we didn't have dedicated salespeople. We just all did everything. And frankly, I, w- I was... <laughs> so you were in sales. You just didn't realize it until later. <laughs> I was, but I got to say, I had this arrogant perspective that engineers do the real work, right? And, and salespeople... I, I, My dad's an engineer. I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I kind of had this perspective of sales as the used car salesperson. And it wasn't until working with you and talking with you that I really had... a a much more honoring perspective of what this role is. And I worked with so many great salespeople while we were together at LexisNexis. What they did to go the extra mile to really serve the customer's needs was just opened my eyes. And the way that you talked about it really framed my perspective differently. And in a very real way, you, you were a sales mentor without me actually doing a lot of sales. And I just want you to know I appreciate that. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to hear that. So let's talk about that role of sales and you have talked about it being the greatest profession ever. So can you frame that for us? What do you mean when you say that? I think sales is so important. And I'm talking about business to business sales primarily when I say that. Um, we get our, we accumulate our negative experience of salespeople typically from people that are in consumer sales who don't have a lot of training, who, who are focused on all the wrong things. I'm talking about people that are in the business of making other people's business more successful. And in fact, every single group of salespeople that we ever had joined LexisNexis in my nearly 30 years, I, I spoke to those groups and uh, always had the same thing I implored with them to say, my success as a salesperson can only follow the success of my customer. And my job is to help identify gaps in their business that I can help fill with my solutions. And thus, until I make them more successful, I don't get anything out of it. And so this idea of being self-centered and leading with the product, none of that stuff works um, in the way we do business at, at LexisNexis. So our whole approach is an identification of that gap between where the customer is today and where they aspire to be against their most important business objectives and to pick one or more of those objectives that are that are problematic for them. And every business has problems. I don't care if you're Google or Apple or, or anybody. Um, and, uh, and go about your business helping them um, fill those gaps. And we've made quite a, quite a business of it. It's been, made quite a career for me. 
And so it, it, that's at the center of it is, is mm-hmm. I can only be successful after I make my customer successful. That's that's true value selling or business to business selling to me. And there's a lot of alignment with that objective of, you know, if I can help my customers reach their strategic objectives, you know, th- then that's going to be good for me. And that's a lot of what product managers are concerned about, too. B2B or B2C is how can I provide value to my customer? Sure. Was this just a natural evolution, this perspective? I don't know if it was sales training specifically, if it was your background doing technology consulting first. How did you come to this perspective? A couple of things. One is I never thought of myself as a salesperson. Um, I had kind of an empathetic personality. Um, Maybe that comes from growing up in a small town and, you know, uh, uh, not having a lot of things to start with. And so I, I, when I went into sales originally, I had some wonderful mentors. You mentioned mentors as well. And, uh, they, they taught me that from the beginning. And I had some tremendous training when I was with AT&T. Um, and then when I joined over with LexisNexis, I, I had the good fortune of being hired by the guy that, that sold LexisNexis to the Supreme Court hmm. back in the, back in the mid seventies when the whole concept of, of electronic information research was was relatively new mm-hmm. and um, it, it was always built around um, let's go help these people let's go help them improve their ability to give great service to their customers can I have can I have solutions that, to help that for them can I help their economics right every time I bring a customer a solution I have to have an economic benefit to them no one ever wants to buy something that's going to make them less profitable and so it's up to me as the sales professional I think to help financially justify the solution to the customer in terms that they agree with mm-hmm. and understand. And after that, if we if we gr- agree that it's got a positive economic development, then you've got a real chance to be successful. And the last thing that we always search for is, well, I bring a solution to an organization that improves their quality of life, their quality of work life primarily, right? Can right. I make their jobs easier? Can I let them get out of work at, at six o'clock instead of seven o'clock at night so they can go see that kid's soccer game? And if I bring all those things together, help them give better service to their clients, lift the economics of their organization, improve the quality of their lives, then I've really got a chance to be successful by making them successful. Those are three good pillars to be thinking about for how, how to help your customer, how, how to help the client. I hope so. Yeah, it's, it's worked for us so far. So far. I want to revisit this notion of you know my negative perception I had of salespeople, you know, as that arrogant engineer uh, early in my career. That certainly is out there. You run into salespeople that there's a reason for that negative stereotype. And we might say that there's some salespeople that are faking it and some people that are more more real. Can you talk about that contrast? Yeah. The people that are faking it, they don't even necessarily know they're faking it because they're not knowledgeable enough. But they, they're what I call bag divers. So the person who really doesn't care much about you, who is just pushing a product they go out and live their sales lives kind of like a walking, talking brochure where they're just spitting out product features to the customer, spitting out price promotions, leaning on them, saying, if you buy by 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 Friday, you'll get a 15 percent discount, all that kind of stuff that we all hate. Mm-hmm. And yet they're so um, unconsciously incompetent with that behavior that they keep repeating it again and again. And, you know, and occasionally they're going to run into somebody that happens to have a need. And so they'll make a sale and that makes them think the way they're doing it is correct. And so uh, to me, that's that's the ultimate bad salesperson. And by the way, uh, that was my impression, too, of salespeople and oftentimes continues to be my impression. Can I tell you a quick story about a 
Sure. <laughs> Example of a ba- the ultimate bag diver. My wife and I were going on a vacation in South Carolina. We had two kids at the time, little kids, and and we we somehow made the big mistake of taking a big discount on this condominium complex we were staying at by agreeing to sit to a thirty minute meeting. Mm-hmm. We go into this meeting, and and this guy is just hammering on us to buy one of these timeshares. Our kids are off in the other room with not very good babysitting. My wife's very worried about them, and and the guy almost physically won't let us leave the room because it keeps hammering. And I said to him, look, I don't make big decisions like this in the room with the salesperson next to me. I need to leave. I'll think about it and I'll call you back with my decision. And the guy said, I'm sorry, I cannot let you leave. No one ever comes back. And I said, look, I will at least give you the courtesy of giving you a phone call. And he goes, nope, no one ever comes back. And he said, in fact, there's only been two people in history that have ever come back. One is MacArthur and the other is Jesus. And he said, you don't look like either one of them to me. (laughs) That's a good line, at least. (laughs) I guess he's probably used it before. Uh Yes. But uh, so that that kind of I've always had that impression in my mind of. I want my sales professionals and myself to be the opposite of that kind of a behavior. I want my customer to reach out to me over time once we develop trust to reach out to me to say, you're a part of my business, an integral part of my organization. Help me be successful. And when we can arrive at that status, then you've really got something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And this obviously is focused on that B2B perspective, but but I think this perspective in general is a good one to take when you're saying, how can I provide value to my customer? Right, and, and that gives us common ground again between sales and product management. Those are, are that's the c- central thing that we both care very much about. Yeah, if we both live that way, then we're in absolute absolute synchronization. Yep. So uh, it's up to the it's up to leadership in an organization, though. I think oftentimes to to drive that kind of a set of values. Yep. I like the bag diver term, right? This picture of <laughs> man or woman, the sales professional reaching into the bag and just pulling out brochure after brochure. Well, if that's not what you want, how about this one here, right? Yeah, they're virtually diving into that bag, just throwing the products at the customer saying, hey, kind of saying, stop me when you're ready to buy something. Right. The, you probably know this one, you know, the, the saying is the, uh, well, even blind squirrels occasionally find a nut. All right. That's like, right. <laughs> From time to time. Not, yep. Not properly equipped, but that's it. So, so let's talk about product managers in this context a little bit. We, we both have worked with, uh, and I was in the role for a while at LexisNexis, uh, worked with some really good product managers at LexisNexis, and uh, have seen sometimes that tension that can come up between product management and, and sales. And we'll get into a bit why that happens, but let's start with the sales side. How, how do sales think about product managers? What do they kind of want from their product managers? Well, every salesperson dreams of a product that sells itself. It's so fantastically fitting the needs of its customers. There aren't very many products that sell themselves. So let's, let's, let's back off of the dream a little bit. Um, I think uh, two or three things come to mind when you say, what would we want in product managers from the sales side right. of it? One, I would start with availability. Do we have a channel of communication that is open? So that as I'm out in the marketplace encountering opportunities or problems that my customers are having, um, to me, that might look like opportunities for us. um, Do I have a communications channel that I can feed it pretty directly to people that can actually do something about changing a product or perhaps even inventing a product or a feature? And so that's a big part to me is the the first thing that I would desire. A second thing that I would desire is... um, a product management individual or group 
that says, hey, get me out there. I want to see what's really happening. I want to see how customers are using our product. I want to see what problems they're facing and not have the salesperson kind of as the conduit always. Uh, we really like that. In fact, a friend of mine named Greg uh, Meredith uh, taught me something one time when we were in a group of product managers and we we're talking about a new product we're building. He put up on the on the wall an image of um, the state of Kentucky. And uh, he said to the group of product managers, um, what is this? What, what are we looking at? And five people at once raised their hand and said, that's Kentucky. And he looked at them and he said, that's nothing what Kentucky looks like. And then he zeroes in real close until you see like a city street. And he says, this is really what Kentucky looks like at the ground level. And he says, but too often as we're doing planning, we, we're too far back and we just see the, the map from such a distance from, from space. And for us to really understand how a customer uses a product, what their needs truly are, what they like, what they dislike, uh-huh. we got to get down at the street level and see it there. So it's important not to just go from product specifications that a group of product planners put together, but rather get down and mix it up with the people that have their hands on the product and that are using it. And so that to me is the kind of overwhelming thing that I uh, that I think about is have this opportunity to to really feel the customer's challenges with the product and feel the customer's exhilaration for things that really work well for them. Um, that, that to me is um, of vital importance. And, and the last thing, and these are all related. The last thing is I think we should formalize the relationship between sales and product management in such a way that we have regular opportunities to gather where the people get in a room and drink coffee once a month and, and, uh, and they share successes and failures and, and talk about, you know, the good and the bad and the ugly of their business and their products with each other. And, and, and also product managers can can correct salespeople, too, if they've been positioning something incorrectly. Uh-huh. Right. Or, or not understanding some of the some of the capabilities. So there's so much to be gained um, between sales and product management uh, just by being together physically, virtually, however it happens um, that uh, that gives you such a, b- a greater chance to be successful. But too often um, we kind of live in our own teepees. Right. There's the there's the sales tribe. There's a the product management tribe. There's a the marketing tribe and everybody attends to their own business and not nearly often enough, I think, do we come together. I think that common ground that you set up before of are we trying to help the customer achieve their goals, make their life better, right? Uh, economically, their yeah. time, lifting lifting uh, their quality of life. That common ground r- really facilitates that playing well together. And if that common ground isn't there, then I would expect there to be more of this tension. Yeah, yeah. And there's and there's there's always the part about, you know, we'll talk about it, I'm sure. But, you know, salespeople that don't have much of a connection to product management will do dumb things sometimes, especially if you're inexperienced um, and um, and commit to things that the product can't do. And then the rest of us are all left to clean up after them. Right. right? So we don't I understand why tension can come from a variety of, of causes. Yeah, I think that's a key one. You know, anytime that you ask a product manager or even an engineer but they think of sales, that's usually one of the things that comes up is, well, they overcommit, they overpromise, they, you know, they tell the customers things that don't exist yet. We, we need to deal with that one because that, that happens and even with the best of in- intentions, right? And even in this common playing ground where we're all focused on the same objectives, we can have a well-meaning salesperson come back and say, you know, they really just need this feature. As a product manager, it's my obligation to step back and say, okay, maybe they do. We need to understand what the market response to because if we start creating one-off products we're not going to be able to sustain those we're going to be losing any profit we make just in trying to maintain that base of one-off products suggestions for how to talk through that with salespeople 
Well, I think you need to have what I used to call big boy, big girl conversations where we 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 have to describe if this were your business that you owned. Right. Mr. Salesperson, Mr. Ms. Product Management person, if you owned the business and it was your money that's being invested, you're going to look at things very differently than if I'm just trying to make a commission off of one sale. Right. And and uh, and so I think it's quite important that we step back and we say, let's look at the market opportunity. Is there a market for this? Is there a lot of white space out there in the market that is begging to be filled with with a new capability? And there's ways to do analysis of that. Right. You can start by asking customers in survey form or whatever uh, form you, you do to get customer feedback on the ideas. Um, but there's there's scientific ways to say, is this is this capability really needed? And then there's other studies that need to be made to say, and will they pay for it? Right. Because I assume there's going to be investment when we add new capabilities and we've got to say, how does how does how does it we get a return on investment? Most salespeople and salespeople in professional organizations should understand that because it's it's literally um, a, a big part of how they do their jobs. They have to do a fairly good amount of economic justification of the solutions they bring to their customers. So it's not like they don't understand the numerics or the metrics. Um, so I think it's it's just important to have adults in the room, as we sometimes use that term, and uh, and and get get all sides of the uh, discussion uh, involved in not just this one customer situation, but rather if we own this place and let's, Mm -hmm. and I always try to encourage people to act like we own the place, what would we do? And uh, so that's the, to me, the the principal thing that has to happen, but there, there needs to be what I would call some strong leadership uh, as opposed to just pure collaboration so that decisions can get made because sometimes the worst thing for a business is we we uh, iterate and iterate and iterate something to death and don't actually decide uh, you need to have a basis to make a decision and ultimately it's either a small group or an individual that has to step forward and say okay we're going to do it or we're not or here's the compromise we're making yeah that leadership has to be in place for those big boy big girl conversations right. to have the more challenging hard conversation if sales is is running the picture, if the sales professional can, then the product manager is going to get overran. And the product manager mm-hmm. needs to have strong leadership to go to and say, we must understand what the market opportunity is, not just this customer opportunity. Right. And have that conversation. It, it almost reminds me of the Constitution, like the framers of the Constitution, <laughs> right? When they said, when they envisioned there's going to be an executive branch, there's going to be the legislative branch, there's going to be a judicial branch. And they these these geniuses that, that built our country in the beginning had this idea of there, where there must be um, uh, big discussions on mm-hmm. important decisions, but there are a set of values and standards that we will live by, and we have a process to get to an answer. Right. But it does require effort. Right. And I think that's one of the things that frustrates people in companies sometimes is they don't they don't like that frustration of effort. They just want to get their way. Yeah, and that balance of power, these individual groups, sales, product management, marketing, engineering, they all have their individual drivers, what motivates them and what they're responsible for accomplishing. And sometimes those can end up being in conflict a little bit if we don't have mm-hmm. a common framework. You know, it, what we've been talking about that, you know, how do we best serve our customers you know, if there's not a common framework in place, then these become competing parties. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And that's that's why I think it's it's important to get people to to act like business professionals and adults, mm-hmm. uh, and to take self interest out of it, at least suspend it for a while, and and let let us let us discuss the, the the opportunity and the issues and the challenges without the individual connections to those things. Right. 
And at least even if the decision at the end of the day is we need to go do X, Y, Z for the specific customer and we'll figure out the rest later. At least you've had the discussion, leaders have been involved and the decision has been made. Absolutely. Yeah. And you'll do that from time to time, especially if the customer seems important or potentially in the future important. Right. Yeah. Because maybe this is a strategic opportunity that some believe is emerging and something that we need to pursue. So absolutely. Yeah. Other item you said was salespeople can help get the customers out. I'm sorry, get the product managers out with the customers, right? And something they want to do. Mm -hmm. This can be another source of tension at times because sometimes the product manager gets pulled along too often because they're seen as the, and rightly so, you know, the expert on the product, probably the best at doing the demonstrations, talking about its benefits, talking about what the product really can do for customers. So that they get brought into situations to help the salesperson do their job, which is, you know, get mm-hmm. the customer to acquire the product. Mm-hmm. And that can just overwhelm product managers at times. Right. Anyways. The other issue with that is it's wonderful to go out and have those contacts with the customer, something we very much need as product managers. But I think there's a bit of a bit of an uneasiness from product managers thinking, well, if I'm with the salesperson, it's going to turn into a sales meeting. And that's not why I'm there, right? I can't find out mm-hmm. what the customer's mm-hmm. needs actually are if my salesperson is trying to just sell, you know, throw a brochure at them. Gotcha. Gotcha. So so I hit I hit you up there with two two things at the same time. Well, let's take the latter one first. Uh, this issue of how do how do we make sure that's not a sales meeting when product managers are along that it's actually a customer discovery meeting? Yeah, well, there's there's steps in the sales process, at least in professional selling, right? That that would say everything's not always an advocate advocacy meeting, mm-hmm. right? There are times when it is appropriate, when we've gone through um, the initial relationship development with the customer, we've gone through what we call discovery to understand the gaps in their business. We've made a decision of what we're going to offer the customer. And then there's a day or days that we go out to see the customer to actually advocate on behalf of our company. Um, I don't necessarily think we want product management out there on the advocacy day necessarily, because that is a a full-on, we're trying to get a decision made. But I think where they best play is back in the discovery phase when we're understanding the customer's business challenges. So I think it would be very wise of product leadership to say, look, guys, we don't have enough people or time to go out on 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 every sales call where we might be helpful. Uh, you need product specialists for that that live in the sales organization. What we do want to be involved in, in is when you're in discovery with your customer, when you're truly trying to understand their business challenges, um, perhaps get a good look at how they're using a competitor's product or our own product at the time uh, and to check for um, opportunities for improvement or, or even to correct the customer on how they're using the product. That's those are the kinds of meetings I recommend. And I would think it would be wise to put the ground rules down that, that says, look, we are not your product specialists. They're going to help you win the business. That's not our role. Mm-hmm. Our role is back earlier when you're trying to understand if there even is an opportunity there before you've even developed a recommendation to the customer. Um, and of course, I'm implying by the by my statement there that that you're not in a company where you have a lot of what we call one call closes, where I just show up, see the customer, make an offer on the spot. I'm talking about more complex, complex kind of selling situations that typically take multiple uh, customer engagements before you get to that day when you advocate for a solution. Does that make any sense? It does. And I've seen that through my own experience, you know, uh, working with you and, and uh, great salespeople, Lexus Nexus. It was beneficial in this case, and, and I think this only exists again if this common ground is there, you know, we're truly tr- tr- really trying to solve the customer's problem and add value to them. 
And if that's not in place, then we have much bigger issues. But at least that gives us a framework to operate from. And so many times, those sales calls with product managers, they were done in a way that actually enhanced the credibility of the salesperson, right? Strengthen the relationship between the salesperson and the customer because the salesperson is bringing in this other resource to help. In- a highly credible resource, I would suggest, probably, yeah. Well, that's mm-hmm. and to, yeah. to help further <laughs> investigate the customer's problem and how can we better you know, solve this problem for you. And like you said, when it's done at the right time, that makes sense. Yeah. You're not putting a contract in front of them the day you have the product manager there, I guess, would be my bottom line on it. Right. right? You're way earlier. Right. And if the, I like the distinction you made, you know, set these ground rules in place that the product manager is not there to help you win business. Product manager is there to help you more deeply understand the problem and how can we better serve the customer and solve the problem for them. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And the, and the long-term benefits of they become ever more market knowledgeable, street savvy of how the customers use our services. And then anyway, so that's another benefit that the, the whole company will gain. Yeah. When I was in this role, there were a few product managers in our environment that were more trusted by salespeople than others. And uh, I, I think that trust just gets built up over time because they there, there was some initial customer meeting where the product manager from the sales perspective did not screw things up, right? They, 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 they added value. Sure. Right? Sure. And the customer friendly product yeah, manager. Right. And, you know, hopefully we do more times than not. So that trust got built up and salespeople are pretty good at sharing resources, at least, at least in that organization. And the word gets out that, you know, this person, Bob's really good at helping with this, you know, go ask Bob to, to help out and mm-hmm. bring him in. And so then we find ourselves in the situation where we get pulled into things too often. Thoughts on this? Yeah. Well, it, it happened to me personally when I joined the, the, the company of LexisNexis many, many years ago, back in the 80s. Uh, I, I was a, a technology specialist who was really supposed to teach the salespeople about technology um, so that they could actually have productive customer meetings without always having to have somebody with them. Hmm. And uh, what I discovered every time I would do one of these training classes, they would they would come up to me after the class and say, hey, can you go with me out to the Department of Justice? Can you go out with me to General Motors? Can you go out with me to this big law firm? And and I didn't know any better. I'd say yes. And within weeks of starting my job as a technology trainer, I I literally transformed into a technology consultant. And I was out in the field week after week after week um, in a job that you would recognize, Chad, from some of your experience. And and so it happens sometimes that an organization may not be fully developed in terms of fitting the filling the needs of their salespeople. Right. They if they don't understand their product enough or its capabilities then there's a gap mm-hmm. and it's either a gap in training and they're not training them effectively um, or it's just too comp- complex for them to get it with all the other things they have to to do. And so what tends to happen in organizations is they develop uh, specialists to accompany salespeople, which is as, as you know, 100 years old. I mean, back in the day, when IBM invented the, uh, the sales engineer, right, who would accompany the salespeople on many of their sales calls to to, quote, talk technical, unquote. And so it's 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 quite normal, I think, in an organization that they from time to time will have to step back and say, wow, this Chad McAllister is so good with customers, yet he has fantastic product knowledge. Should we consider moving him out of product management into the sales organization? And it's his full time job. That's one solution, right, as they create a group of specialists to accompany the, the, the salespeople if they just 
have such a dire need for product specialists or product managers, I should say, to be with them. Uh, that's one solution. Uh-huh. The other solution, and I think that is uh, is workable as well, if you have any scale to your business at all, is to describe for your product management group, hey, look, we're going to make it one of our key performance objectives that we're in the field going on key uh, customer meetings. Let's call it 10% of your time uh-huh. or said another way, about two days a month, you're going to be out in the field or perhaps over the phone working with your salespeople and customers. That's another way to go about it. But if it's not dealt with uh, in one form or another, um, then you're going to always have this ache, aching feeling of, wow, I should be out there in the field, but I don't I don't have time to get there or I'm out in the field too much. I need to get back to my job. And that's a problem. So it needs to be built into the rhythm of the business, either to have uh, product specialists out there with the salespeople or um, um, and it could also be and or um, have product managers have a, a, a portion of their job that's intended to be out there working with customers. But every business that has any complexity at all deals with this issue mm-hmm. uh, because it's uh, it's not unusual for salespeople, especially in their first year or two on the job, to just not know enough to uh, to be able to represent with credibility, um, you know, in uh, everything about their, their their products and services. And that goes back to having having those adult conversations, strong leadership in place to set those expectations, like the you know ten percent of your time. Right. Product managers can also help with the training aspect, and this is you know that that cross functional nature of the product manager that really needs to involve so many different elements of the organization. One is we need to have a good relationship with the training function in, inside the organization, so that we can help you know make sure if a new product is coming out or product update is coming out that we are enabling the training resources to prepare the salespeople to respond to this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's the complexity of business that must be dealt with, must be wrestled with. But, you know, again, the company that is, 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 I, I use the term conscious competence a lot. The company that's consciously competent saying we must constantly in, evaluate how are we doing our work? Not just what are we doing and are there processes that can help us get better Let's actually sit down together with cross-functional groups and and find a better way and evolve the company. Because I would suspect that, you know, any company that's had a long-term track record of success, especially if they're in a complex industry or have a complex set of products, they've had those experiences mm-hmm. where they've had to step back, reassess. You know, the whole consulting industry has made, a, made quite a living out of, uh, of helping companies do that, actually. There's one other question I want to ask you about, and we've talked about this a little bit indirectly. I just want to make it clear for listeners, because I'm sure there's some everyday innovators thinking, well, I would really like to get out with my customers. I, I haven't had that experience yet. I, I need to understand better what their environment is like, what the problems they're de- dealing with, and have that one-to-one interaction. And I realize, you know, my salespeople are the ones that can make that happen, but I don't really know them yet. So suggestions on how product managers could approach sales and ask for help getting those, you know, let's call them uh, discovery interviews set up with customers. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be most uh, inefficient if you if you go to the product managers uh, as individuals and say, hey, you guys, you gals, reach out to the salespeople and and introduce yourself and make yourself available. That's that's going to be a whole lot of wasted motion. Because A, you won't be able to get the salesperson's attention, perhaps, Mm -hmm. or B, the opposite, they'll grab you like they own you and try to drag you into every tough customer situation they have if it's left left without direction. 
what's important, I think, is to have at least a first line management, if not higher level management, management to management kind of a, an agreement um, whereby product management and sales management get together and they, they, they develop the ground rules to say, here's how it's going to work, right? We're going to have some sort of a, of a system of how we match up uh, product managers to uh, salespeople. Um, here's this, the scenarios in which it's appropriate back to our earlier conversation about, um, about going to on discovery calls perhaps, um, and make those ground rules and, and set up the process for it because otherwise it's just, everybody does it a little bit differently and there's no understanding and it seems too, too uncoordinated. And so that's why I think it's, it's super important maybe things go through first line management so that they can have the discussions with their counterpart on the other side of the uh, other side of the aisle and, and, and help make it happen. Because it's, it's it's just there's too many things that can go wrong when, when all the individuals are left to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, setting those ground rules and the expectations and just helping to facilitate this. Right. Right. Good. And I know we could continue this and talk richly and deeply about this relationship between product managers and sales. We've already covered lots of good information. And in the interest of time, listeners know I love innovation quotes, and I uh, always ask guests to bring something that they are fond of and share why that they're, uh, they like that one too. So what did you bring for us? I've got two that I've been, and they're completely different. I've been trying to decide. Let's hear them both. All right. The first, neither one of them um, are, are would be found under the heading of innovation. So let's let's we have to open our minds a little bit on it. But the first is from uh, from General George Patton, right? The great warrior leader. He said, uh, "Never tell people how to do things. Tell them what to do, and they will surprise you with their ingenuity." I like that one. I mean, he's saying, don't don't put too many ground rules in front of smart people, right? Mm-hmm. Tell them the hill you're trying to climb and let them figure it out because they'll probably have a better idea than you will on how to do that. That's one. And the other is uh, is much more esoteric, um, but it really speaks to the idea. The one I'm about to give you speaks to the idea of it's important to blend in with one's environment, mm-hmm. to almost develop solutions organically. To, uh, uh, to, to be natural. And it's from the great innovator, Bruce Lee, right? <laughs> the, mar- the former martial, martial artist who's uh, left us way too soon. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's something that's become a bit of a popular quote. He says, empty your mind, be formless, shapeless, like water. Now you put water in a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now, water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. <laughs> and so it's, uh, I, uh, it's my, uh, my grandchildren have, uh, have heard this quote many times as they go to bed. And now when I, when I carry them to bed, the last thing they, uh, they say before they give me a little kiss is they say, Papa, be water, my friend. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. <laughs> It is that notion of we, in a sense, need to be chameleons to really blend in and understand the customer's environment and their problems. And, uh, you know, at that point, we can really solve their issues well. One of my favorite market research approaches is ethnography doing user observations. Mm -hmm. You do have to blend into the background to be able to do that well. No doubt. No doubt. Be water. That's excellent. Be water, my friend. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, Keith, I really appreciate your time. Please tell listeners about uh, what you're doing now. I know you have a couple of books out and uh, you're doing a lot of speaking at organizations. And I can certainly understand why organizations would want to bring you in to speak to their groups. Yeah, I speak typically on um, 
about three topics. One is on, on salesmanship and more specifically a principled set of sales values that are built around the idea that, that my success as a salesperson only follows the success of my customer. And we wrote a book called Get Real Selling that kind of documents all of that. And uh, it's available on Amazon and you know, any place online that you can buy books probably. And uh, um, from a standpoint of being able to contact me, um, probably the most available places I am are out on LinkedIn, where you can find me on LinkedIn uh, as Keith Hawk or on Twitter. And my uh, handle there is um, at DKHawk30. Excellent. Keith, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Chad. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Please tell other product managers about this podcast. That's easy. Just go to the show notes where you'll find a summary of the discussion with Keith and other useful resources, and you'll see some buttons there at the top of the page. Just click on the one for your favorite social media site and share this with others. I appreciate you doing that. And you'll find that at the everydayinnovator.com slash 129. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com.